I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. Today, we have my good time colleague, Dean Volk. He's a physical therapist. And he is the previous owner of Volk PT, Volk Physical Therapy. We're going to hear all about the process and the transition of his two-location practice that he had exited and sold. We're going to hear all about that and a little bit more as to what he's up to now, which is he's doing international and virtual consulting for sciatica relief now, and also doing some physical therapy business coaching. Dean, welcome in. What's going on? I'm doing well. Just happy to be here with you, Mr. Dave. Excellent. So we had talked a bunch. I mean, we've uh, we've known each other for years. And one of the things that uh, with your story, there was a period of time where you had two locations. I definitely want to hit on the backstory first in terms of before even COVID and before your first offer uh, okay. in that whole transition of, of selling your practice. Give me a little bit of the uh, history of yourself in terms of your family dynamic, your wife, your two sons. There was a few things that were involved in, you know, moving and, and transitioning locations. And that kind of almost for the audience kind of just like maybe started the wheel in motion in terms of how everything else ended up, you know, years down the line. Absolutely. Well, married to the most incredible woman in the world with two sons who are two years apart. Currently, they are 29 and 27. And I had two clinics at the time in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, one that I started in 2006 and the second one in 2011 or 12 in a neighboring town. And I had just thought, all right, we're going to be growing these clinics, possibly get a couple more in the Charlotte area, live happily ever after and retire in Charlotte. But as it turned out, after son number one went to college at Charleston, Son number two, we thought would be going up the road to UNC Charlotte, which was literally 10 minutes from my home and a heck of a lot cheaper than the College of Charleston. And when he decided in the winter of his senior year that he too wanted to go to College of Charleston, I had to scramble because there was no way I was going to be paying $100,000 a year for college between the two boys, or at least taking out $100,000 a year in loans because I had told them that I would take care of their undergraduate work for them. So when I found out that for the College of Charleston, that all you have to do is have residency in the state and you can get in-state tuition immediately, it didn't have to be a year's wait. I looked at my wife and I said, all right, we've got a choice to make. She goes, what's that? I said, we can get a tiny little apartment right across the border of Charlotte because South Carolina is literally, Charlotte borders South Carolina. So I said, we can get a nice apartment right across the border and have that as our residence, quote unquote, for in-state tuition. And we can go down on weekends and enjoy a nice apartment and whatever else the amenities are that we can find. Or we can get a tiny little apartment in Charleston where it's much more expensive and it's a much further distance. But because you have done so much 
for our boys. And she actually homeschooled our boys all the way through high school. I said, I'm giving you the choice. Do you want to move to Charleston or do you want to just get a tiny little apartment? And she said, if you're giving me the choice, I would prefer Charleston, which I gulped and went, all right, we're going to have to figure out how I'm going to be running my two clinics and living in Charleston at the same time. So that was back in 2015, I believe, 2015 or 2016 that my second son went. But because of that, we were able to save $50,000 a year in school tuition. And it was it was something that financially just made sense. And as we we embarked on this, I would drive back and forth, which was a three and a half hour drive. I would leave Sunday morning at three in the morning to get to the clinics. And we still had our house in Charlotte. And I would come back um, Friday late night. And I did that for about a year and a half. We were able to rent out a couple of my bedrooms in my home. So I basically was locked in my master bedroom when I was home during the week, let everybody else have run of the house. And that's how we lived for a few years until after our boys graduated. And we realized we really liked Charleston a lot more than Charlotte, which led me to go, all right, I can't keep doing this. And I've had a couple times, there were six, there were two to three times during the seven years that I was doing this, that I was able to find full staff, great leaders for my clinic so that I didn't have to come back every week. I would come back once a month just to check in. I would hold weekly meetings through um, Zoom just to make sure everything was running smoothly. But it was never sustainable because big box PT companies would come in and take my managers for significantly higher salary. And I would be stuck doing this again and again. After our boys graduated college and wanted to move on with life, my wife and I realized we really want to move back out West. We had met and got married and spent 20 years in Phoenix before we moved out to um, the East Coast. And we always had vacationed in Southern California and loved it and thought one day we would wind up in Southern California. So that's the backstory. How much more would you like me to give and what would you like me to go into now? So let's fast forward to late 2019 is when you were approached by a practice owner Yes, and late that, 2019. That, yes. That was your first offer in terms of a, even, I guess, maybe at that point, was it the first time you considered selling or exiting or you had already known this individual? So you had a relationship. Did he approach you or you approached him? Great question. And I've been racking my brain ever since I knew we were going to talk about this because I honestly cannot remember how <laughs> in the world we got connected. But I knew, all right, it is time for me to sell this clinic because at the time I was actually doing a cash practice in Charleston while this was all going on. So I was either treating on Saturdays or during the week when I had coverage at my office. So that practice was growing. And I realized I can do a lot better just a cash practice than my in-network practices for me personally. And it was a much less stress because I can control myself. I can't control everybody in my clinics. So when this gentleman approached and I forgot how we got hooked up, I knew I was wanting to sell. And he made an offer at the end of 2019, right before COVID struck. And it was probably the lowest offer that I would have potentially accepted. But I did accept because I thought, you know what? This will get me out of debt. This will put some money in my pocket. I can do what I want. But it wasn't an offer that I was happy about. But I just looked at my wife. I said, you know what? Let's just get this elephant off our back so that we can move forward with what we want. So that was November or December of 2019. We were set to close on April 1st, which turns out to be a joke on me because two weeks 
two to three weeks before closing date, he called me to say that due to COVID and due to the decrease in the stock market and decrease in his portfolio, the bank is now refusing to give him the loan for my business. And could we delay it for a few months? And I swallowed big and I said, I can delay it. But if I get something better in the works, he actually said, can we delay it for a year? And I said, well, if I get something better in the works, I'm going to take it because I'm not just going to sit around. And being sure. COVID, there was so much uncertainty. Nobody knew what was going on. Right. So right. I, I actually got in touch with a broker and just said, hey, this is what I'm looking at. And he said, I'd be happy to take you on. I charge 10%, but I guarantee you that offer that you got was not enough. And I said, that's fine. And actually, I didn't care. I just wanted this off my chest. So a group, Cora Physical Therapy, big on the East Coast, um, along with another company that I cannot remember the name of, except it had blue in their name. Both came with um, offers for full price that the broker put, which was double what I was originally going to get on that April 1st close date. So I signed on the dotted line immediately when Cora said that they would take it for double. And that was late May, I believe it was mid-June of 2020 that we signed with a potential closing date of September 2020. And I said, if we can make it faster, the faster you can do this, the better I'll be. So it wound up closing November November 13th of 2020 for nearly double what I had agreed to earlier in the year, paying 10% to the broker was no skin off my teeth because I wound up much better off. And I actually sold it without getting legal counsel. I have a brother-in-law who had practiced law. My feedback person when I would find something that didn't look right in the contracts and everything. And so I was actually the gentleman's first non-legally represented physical therapy owner who sold a practice. So that is the story of my sale. And not necessarily advisable. I mean, not everyone has a close family member that's an attorney and you maybe felt a little bit more comfortable about the whole dynamic. So it's not necessarily for everyone to do that. And definitely we're not. We're obviously not advising that, right? But that, I mean, not advice. Know, every, no. Everyone can take, you know, whatever amount of risk that they're able to, you know, take on. And if they needed more assistance and help, then they would either retain a lawyer or have a firm or someone represent them. But in your case, you felt comfortable enough with your family member to do so and help. And so your, your broker didn't give you any flack or issue for that. Like he said, even though you're, you were the broker's first client to not have an attorney represent them, he was okay or comfortable enough to continue the process. He was comfortable enough, but he did say, Dean, he goes, I strongly recommend it. But if he goes, obviously, I can't tell you what to do. Sure. So if you feel comfortable doing this, he goes, I, I don't have a problem with you going through it, but just realize there is a risk. You're not going to be legally represented like the other side is. And their legal representation is not going to help you. They are going to be all out for themselves. I said, no problem. If I run into an issue, I have no problem getting a lawyer. But for right now, my brother-in-law who practiced law years previously, I said, I'm happy with him looking it over. And I actually found two or three different different glitches in the contract that they had for me that my brother-in-law actually had overlooked. He just said, wow, you caught those things and I didn't even see them. He said, yes, you're absolutely right. What you are saying is the right interpretation. What they're telling you is wrong. So do not allow them to bully you. But I kind of had fun with it because I didn't, I didn't mind. I didn't have anything. Well, I did have a lot to lose, but I also knew 
the company was wanting to move into Charlotte, North Carolina, and they weren't going to give up two clinics very easily. So, and so you, you had some leverage there. I had a little bit of leverage from my perspective and my, yes, could have been my naive perspective, but yes, I felt I had leverage and I thought, Hey, you know what? This is what they said. I'm going to hold them to it and let's get it going. So. Got it. Okay. So I want to have you back to discuss a little bit more of the negotiations. Cause I think you hinted at that Cora and the other group might've just submitted offers based on the asking price that the broker had disseminated, right? So typically it's a, a SIM and they disseminate a certain amount of information to potential practice owners that are probably on their list, on the list of the broker. And he kind of puts it out there yes. either on the, that company's website. And so when I have you come back next episode, I want to hear a little bit more of that. Obviously, we're not talking about purchase price and all the confidential information, but whatever you're able to discuss, but it sounds okay. like they were meeting that or close to that asking price, which is, it's not always the case because even if someone is represented by a broker, sometimes the asking price is pre-inflated because the, mm-hmm. they want to have some buffer for negotiation. And you know that there's typically in our industry, there's there's typically a, you know, like a multiple based on EBITDA or a multiple on net profit. Mm-hmm. And of course, the more locations you have, the higher the multiple. And if it's Absolutely. a solo location, then, you know, it's uh, maybe one or two or three X EBITDA. And if it's multiple, it's over three X EBITDA. When we have you come back, I want to hear a little bit more about that. If there was any back and forth or did both of those groups potentially just respond by submitting a a competitive offer that was pretty much, you know, at or near your asking price through the broker? Absolutely. We can do that. Excellent. So we'll put a pause here and we want to have you back for part two of this conversation. A little bit of a cliffhanger for the audience. So, Dean, if there's a practice owner out there that wants to reach out to you to kind of hear a little bit more of your story, ask you any, you know, owner to owner type questions, what's a good place for someone in the audience to reach out to you or find you on the Internet? They can look me up at sciaticareliefnow.net or you can directly email me. My email is dean at deanvolk.com. It's my vanity email time. Dean at deanvolk.com. I love that. And you, you sent that over to me and I knew that was a new one because I, I think you had a sciaticareliefnow.net email before. So I like that. All right. So everyone, that's it for now. I'm Dave Kittle, physical therapist and uh, partner at the Fieldmaker Group, where we are also acquiring physical therapy practices right now in New York and New Jersey. So we'll have Dean back for part two. Stick around, go ahead and rate and review, follow us, subscribe on YouTube. Dean, we're putting this out just like you. We're putting this out everywhere. We're putting this out on YouTube on iTunes, on Spotify, all the uh, the major platforms. So when we have you back, we want to hear a little bit more about the nitty gritty, whatever you're able to discuss. And uh, go ahead, everyone, uh, follow up on part two, and we will see you there. Thanks, everyone. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.